Morning. Good morning. Morning, Julia. Have you got your coat? Got my woolies. Yep. Got your jacket? My yes. Booties. You yep. know, we're yep. going to talk about the latest hotspot, albeit it's very cold. Right. No, um, but, yes, <laughs> but it's true. Mm-hmm. Antarctica, wow. so many people are talking about going down mm-hmm. there. It is seriously on everyone's wish list to do it and however they get there, whether they just fly down for the day and fly back or cruise, a big ship, small ship. It is extraordinary. The Earth's southernmost continent, mm-hmm. virtually uninhabited, Ben, mm-hmm. you would know that, mm-hmm. an ice-covered landmass. Yes. Now, it's a place that has been barely tainted by humankind, mm-hmm. though it's getting a little more crowded, mm-hmm. and has thriving and unique wildlife. You know you can see all those pictures. You just mm. want to be amongst them, don't Absolutely. you? All those yeah. gorgeous yeah. animals. Yep. And for those reasons, Antarctica is the ultimate travel destination. It's also really dry, really windy, one of the coldest places on Earth, and more than twice the size of Australia. Can mm. you believe that? So fun fact, Julia. I learned this at a recent uh, trivia night in Bangalore. It's the um, world's largest desert. How is it? How does that work? It doesn't seem right, does it? No, it, it doesn't. And it divided the trivia night, I can tell you. It was well, very contentious. You would have to because if you walked across it mm. and if you put your hands down, if you do anything, you'd get wet. Then. Yeah, I just think it never rains, right? And that's, I guess that's the definition of a, of a desert. So. Oh, is yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then, then now, so if you were going, yes. and I'm sure you're going to, I'm sure we're both going to. Mm-hmm. Let's hope. Um, yeah. Oh, look, it yeah. really is a, a desirable place for me yes. to go. What do you think? How do you want to go there? So, I mean, there's a few ways. You mentioned um, flying down and there yep. are those uh, Qantas-operated services. I think they're probably a couple of times a year, seasonal through summer, and you spend a 12 hours in the air over, over Antarctica, which I think would be great, oh. but nothing quite like being there. Yeah, so if it were me, I would fly to South America, head down to Ushuaia, and jump on, uh, jump on one of those expedition ships from there, head across the Drake Passage and spend some time down in Antarctica. I hope that that passage was um, the Drake Lake and not the Drake Shake. Yeah, now so, can you just explain hmm. a little bit about that? Because whenever anybody talks about it, they talk about it being the trickiest part nearly of going down to Antarctica because if it's messing with you yeah. or your ship... Yeah, so I think I mean if you have on a rocky way susceptible yeah. to some motion yeah. sickness, it might yes. might be a bit unpleasant. Yeah. But um I would say you would forget that. That would be long forgotten after your journey when you returned home with a head full of and a camera full of those experiences. Here's the geography question. What yep. is it, Ben? Do the currents all come together there and collide? I think so. Narrow, maybe narrowish channel, pretty wild part of the world weather wise. Right. So you know, the Southern Ocean and or the South Atlantic and it can, so now, can be rough. All size of ships and all manner of ships go down there, uh, which would be your choice? So you could be aboard a really big luxury liner and just look out there with your cocktail in hand? Well, you know, I don't think the huge ships go down, but we might need to yep. check in with an expert on that. Big but ones can go down. They yeah. can? Okay, yeah. 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 So I, I think it's changed a lot. I mean, yep. not that long ago, the uh, the cruise ships were pretty yep. Spartan. They were very much expedition yep. vessels yep. and, you know, pretty simple accommodation, fairly probably basic uh, meals and drinks and that kind of thing, but loads and loads of information. So yep. uh, heaps of experts and lectures and um, all kinds of information on board. Um, that's changing. Um, so as um, – remote in inverted commas becomes the new luxury or luxury is also following. So there's some really, really beautiful expedition ships now that are heading down there where you absolutely can, you know, relax with your, with your cocktail and, um, 
you know, and, and just, and just let it all wash over you. Or, of course, you can go on the smaller ones yeah. where you go ashore yeah. and you can just sit there amidst the penguins. I think you'd want to go ashore, wouldn't you, Johnny? Would you, you would. Mm. And the other thing that you can do if you really want and you've got to do it quickly is you can go for a swim. Yeah, a quick dip, I'd say. A very quick dip. Mm. But, you know, would it would it be something for you to be able to tell yourself and people? Oh, you'd have to, wouldn't you? I've been swimming of course you would. down at Antarctica. Yeah. yeah, I yeah. Just, Can I you imagine the peer group pressure, Julia? To do that. I did 30 laps is what you could say. You could lie <laughs> outright, Ben. You could do that. <laughs> well, there'd be yes. no, yeah, no, no way of finding out. But otherwise. I imagine if you went ashore, the amount of images that you could get are just sitting there. Someone was just saying they were, they were when they did go ashore, they just sat. Yeah. And waited, and the penguins just came up and sat around them. They were part of the penguin colony. Mm. Now, think about that. Yeah, I think it is probably the kind of place where you just need to stop and sit and just listen and kind of breathe and really take it all in. I think it's and of course pretty astonishing. The, the other experience that people talk about is when there's one of those big chunks of ice that falls into the water, huge crashing mm. piece of ice. Mm the noise and actually just watching it happen and the blue of the ice apparently is. Yeah, the colour of the ice. Yeah, is yeah, amazing. Certainly in photos is astonishing. looks remarkable. Now, Ben, yes. for you, yep. there's not going to be food on a stick because. Huh. Are you sure? <laughs> well, hmm. let's talk about hmm. restaurants and road trips down yeah, there. Yeah, probably a bit, a bit yes. skinny in that area, yes. I'd say, down there. Yeah. yeah, so they're not going to be top of mind to be perfectly honest, what you're mm. going to be eating mm. um, and certainly how you're going to be getting around. But I think, you know, um, if you need to do one trip more, mm -hmm. just say, it would nearly have to be the Antarctica, wouldn't it? Absolutely. I just like the idea of um, a glass of something really nice, like a scotch or something like that. Just After a, you swim. With a big hunk of ice that's just been knocked off an iceberg oh, yes. or something like that. <laughs> I mean, clunking that. around in your glass, that would be pretty special, right? Well, so if we talk to our listeners and say you can cruise down there on quite big ships to small ships. Yeah. So you can choose from luxury um, to serious adventuring. Yeah. And there is a new cruise ship coming out with a helicopter that right. you can take that will take you across the ice mm -hmm. with the most beautiful view ever and then take you back to the ship where you can have your cocktail. Amazing. That you're talking about. Yeah. So there is no end of ways to see the Antarctica and getting down there and adventure in itself. Yeah. A friend of mine recently flew down on one of those Qantas yes. day trips and I have always wondered, do you, do you need a passport? If you oh. take that flight, well, you, what, what do you think? I asked her. Um, do you think I, you would I need think a passport? No, because you're not you're not leaving the aircraft. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. She said you don't, but I, I wonder. You know, if your flight was redirected and had to land in Auckland or something, I mean, what would and how annoyed would you be? Always take your passport, John. If you got in those middle seats. Look, I think they've got that worked out. I think they ask people to stand up and move around and share the windows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you'd be annoyed about that. Yeah. I can't see you in a middle seat. <laughs> no, you no, cannot. No. no, no, no. I might make a bit of a fuss. No. Come on, Ben, put your coat on. Let's go. Yeah, sounds good. Okay. Uh, one thing I really, uh, one reason I would like to go down there yep. is just to double check that Antarctica isn't, in fact, just an ice wall that's holding the oceans in on the flat earth, Julia. So we could we could check that out. You might need to show me a little bit more about that. Well, ben. the flat earthers believe that the Antarctica is just a ring of ice around the edge of the planet that stops the oceans falling off into space. So that's what I'd like to, I'm sure we could check that out. Let's go look. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> See you there.
Listeners, do we have a treat for you? We're about to talk to Stephen Scarfield, who is the travel editor of the West Australian and been all around the globe. There are so many destinations we could discuss with Stephen, but today, happily and excitingly, we're going to talk about Antarctica. Good morning and welcome, and thanks very much for, for such a great welcome. Uh, yes, I'm really looking forward to being back in Antarctica. It's uh, an amazing experience. Stephen, how many times have you been? Um, well, I've, I've been a few times um, and, and all, all sorts of <laughs> It's one of those things where you, you don't say how many times mm-hmm. people roll their eyes, mm-hmm. I suppose. I've been a few times in different ways. You know, I've been on kind of research ships. Um, I've been down there on a Patagonian tooth fishing uh, ship as well. Um, and I've been there in different forms of, um, you know, expedition cruise ships. Um, and I'm just going again, I'm actually going on a very, very good ship this time. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm taking a group of uh, uh, readers of audience with me. Now, it's it's for those of us who haven't been, who dream to go, Stephen, it's one of the driest which is weird, in fact, coldest and windiest places on earth, but also anything that you see, even if you haven't visited, it's one of the most beautiful. Can you tell us just a little bit about what amazing experiences people can expect when they travel down there to the white continent? Yes, well, absolutely. I mean, as you say, um, it's it's an extraordinary, um, sparse, white continent. The the travel season really is between November and March. And that's really important because firstly, in November, the beginning of the season, it's really penguin time. So the penguins will, uh, the gentoos and the chin straps, um, will lay two eggs in October, November. They have about a month in incubation. And, And what you've also got at the beginning of the season is lots of white snow. So it's very pretty. And towards the end of the season, uh, in March, it becomes more a, a marine animal uh, time of, of years. So that's when all the whales are feeding up. Everything's feeding like mad on this huge biomass of krill before it heads north. So they're quite. The season changes quite dramatically within that time span, um, and then you'll also find that towards the end of the season, it kind of gets muckier, you know, because everything's been standing around for months and having young and feeding and everything else. So it's it's really, you say, it's worth thinking about all those things. There's quite distinct periods within that season. Um, and also it's worth understanding that, you know, if you look at Antarctica, which was, you know, Antarctica was the original, is the kind of original kind of pariah continent. It was in the middle of all the continents. It was the centre of Gondwana land, you know, like 150 million, 15 million years ago. Mm-hmm. And all the plates moved away from it. So it's very much, a, I have that sense, it's very much the centre of everything, you know. And then if you look at it, it's kind of like a stingray. So you've got the, the Antarctic, you know, the big white blob that you see on the bottom of the globe. And then you've got this thumb sticking up, which is a stingray tail, and that's the peninsula. So that points up towards... South America, and that's the most northerly part. So the the point about travelling to the peninsula from Ushuaia at the bottom end of South America is that it's the most northerly part, so it's it's the warmest, it's rock, so things can stand on it and have eggs on it, and you know, um, and it's uh, it gets the it gets summer first, it gets the you know the the mild season first and longest, the light longest, and so on. So that's why. 
you know, really heading across the Drake Passage to the peninsula for me is absolutely the way to go. It's quite the experience to go to Antarctica from New Zealand, say, through the sub-Antarctic islands is a completely different experience. And then it's a big, long slog across to the ice shelf, and that, that's quite different. So I'm, we're really talking mainly about, for most people, um, leaving the Shire, crossing the Drake Passage, get into the peninsula and then getting into these amazing places where you'll see lots and lots of penguins and you'll maybe see um, leopard seals hunting, you'll see all sorts of things going on on onshore. I'm just going to ask you that. While you're talking, I'm listening, can you just give us a 30-second verbal portrait of, of what you actually see when you're there? Well, I think that you, you know, the, the, the big experiences, of course, are to get off the ship. And this is very important. It's very important in choosing how you go to Antarctica because you're only allowed 100 people on the ice at any one time. So the trick is to be on a ship which has a few people so everybody gets off. So if you imagine the day, we're going to go down to the mudroom. We've already got about six layers on because it's a cold day. Lots of little layers. And I've got my rubber gloves, which are my secret trick for Antarctica because I put those over my other gloves to keep my hands dry. So we're going down and we're going to get our boots on, get our jackets on. Then we're waiting. We're all getting a bit fugged up and hot because the, the ship's quite warm. And then suddenly you come down the plank, outside onto the platform and into a Zodiac. You know, and now you're in it because you can, you're in cold water. Mm. You can sense that around you. And you're driving towards the shore, but you're driving through icebergs. And some of the ice will be really blue. Some of it's white. Some of it's got this kind of pinky tinge. Some's got a turquoise tinge. But some of it's this deep blue because it's very old ice and there's no oxygen. It's been crushed and crushed. So you're coming past these floating sculptures, you know. It's really extraordinary. You'll see a, a, a seal lying on a an iceberg as you pass and you'll see other people in Zodiacs just off in the distance, but it's – then you'll come around a bay, like Wilhelmina Bay. You come around into the bay and it's completely dead, flat, calm, so it's mirrored. So now suddenly you're sitting there in 360 degrees, this massive bowl, because the water is exactly the same as the as the surface, you know. So to, to be sitting there to come that, and then when you come into a shore, you're actually going to land on rock. You'll come in this sort of crunch as it mm. the bottom of the zodiac hits the hits the bottom hits the stones you step out and even through your boots you can feel how cold that water is mm. it's just the cold is so frightening but then you get on shore there's penguins around you know and you can walk off on your own and just stand there and you are completely isolated you know it, it's really an extraordinary experience. I shot a bit of film, which I showed recently, on a tripod. And at first you think it's just a still photograph, but then you realise that everything's just moving a little bit. Mm. Ah. And I always encourage people just to take these moments on their own and suck it in because these are extraordinary, intense uh, experiences for us as humans just to be an animal mm. in a hostile environment on your own. We talk... Um to people about when you travel, you do have moments, singular pieces of time that stand out uh, uh, amongst all the other beautiful things that you do. Do you have a moment that you can reflect on down there that stood out as as probably the, the single most amazing thing that you've experienced? 
Look, there, there are sort of obvious things like, um, you know, sitting in a Zodiac surrounded by probably 20 whales, you know, oh, and they're all literally coming under the boat and coming yeah. up and down late in the season in March. Um, you know, there are moments early in the year when you, you know, you're not allowed to approach penguins. So you sit down, you know, I'll actually sit down, I'll take a little bit of mat actually, sit down on a little bit of uh, foam mat uh, with my camera and watch, and they'll come up to you. So suddenly you're taking pictures and these penguins are just walking towards you. But I tell you the best thing in Antarctica for me is it's when penguins fall over on the ice. <laughs> it's just, it is, you think, come on, you live here. It's all you do. Yeah. I mean, I've got an excuse because I'm a big clumsy Australian, right, you know, but you live here and they just keep falling over. It's absolutely hilarious. They're much more so graceful these... in the water. Right? <laughs> Come mm. on, you know, it's like this is your job, <laughs> you know. Walking on ice is your thing. Mm. Um, I love that. But if I pick one moment, and this might surprise uh, some people listening, you see I love the Drake Passage. Mm. Um, it's this incredible pinch point between the southern tip of uh, South America and the Antarctic Peninsula. So you've got all this massive circulation of weather patterns and ocean around the globe, round, 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 unimpeded, and then it pushes through this pinch point. This is why you get such extraordinary sea conditions there sometimes, of course. But it is an environment, you know, and I really encourage people to enjoy Drake Passage as a most unusual environment. And the first wandering albatross that I see there sends an absolute thrill through me. So it, quite honestly, if I picked any moment, you know, it would probably be that first wandering albatross. I mean, the albatross can live, these birds can live to 60 years and um, they will just, you know, they fly eight and a half million kilometres during your lifetime. And you see these big, big birds, massive wings, and you watch the wingtip and it just tracks along perhaps four or five centimetres above the water surface as it undulates and the big waves, they're just extraordinary. I love them. I love watching them. I can stand out there all day long. So, Stephen, for those of us who um, might not immediately see the romance of crossing the Drake, passage particularly when it's a bit rough um how how do the the cruise operators manage people who really struggle with seasickness or oh, just, you know, that you kind just of throw thing them, you, throw them just overboard throw them, throw them overboard <laughs> yes. and carry on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough no, that's, okay that's completely not true right <laughs> yeah. Yeah. um look the, there are things uh, there are things to you know you, that you can do yourself um firstly my point with the Drake is, uh, personally, I feel that sometimes we have to earn our privileges, sure. and, I, and yeah. I think that's part of it. Yeah. You can fly over the Drake Passage now. You know, you can fly to um, to islands and join ships there. So that that's a possibility. Yeah. Um, but I think you are missing part of the experience. Um, for us as Australians, of course, you know, you come down the Beagle Channel, and the Beagle Channel was named for um, Charles Darwin's ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Beagle, of course, and, and Darwin did all his work around Australia. Uh, that ship was captained by Fitzroy, um, which, of course, Fitzroy Crossing in Western Australia is named for. So there's great connections here to Western Australia, and that's part of the story for me. Um, I think even coming down the Beagle Channel, people will be taking their, you know, anti-nausea medication in preparation, mm-hmm. um, and we all have our own things. Um, 
what I will say is that on the sh- the ships, of course, um, will all have doctors. They'll all have very good medical centres because of the nature of remote travel, and they are very, very competent at handling seasickness. I mean, it's it's kind of you know part of their daily routine, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so you can feel confident that the people on board who who know what they're doing, they're used to it and they can help you. So whilst you're on your way down and when you're there, I suspect that you're enjoying all this and discussing the opportunities and what you're going to see with a little mulled wine, are you, Stephen? It's warm this time rather than just being icy cold champagne. Is that what's happening? And food <laughs> well, food and, and and beverages aboard any of these ships or however you're going down are, are exactly. delightful as ever. No, look, exactly right. I mean, there's increasing emphasis on the kind of comfort of the ships and yeah. the luxury of the ships. And there's some very luxurious ships being built for these environments um, with, you know, chefs and fine dining and menus and so on. So we're, we're quite a long way from the old mess hall days, I suppose. Um, some of the most popular ships of the last few years, uh, five years ago, I took a group. In fact, we're just having our reunion again. We have a reunion every year. Uh, that was 2014. I took a, a, another group down there, um, and that was on a, a sort of Russian research ship, which is then contracted for tourism. So that is, yes, a kind of mess hall, home cooking situation. But I think even certainly since then, we're seeing new ships being built, which um, say have uh, you know chef-driven uh, menus on board. Uh, very good food, uh, very good wine catalogues, menus. Um, so, uh, yes, it's completely changed. Most people will be walking around in, you know, deck shoes and chinos and drinking very good Australian wines. There you go. Mm. Stephen, really quickly, have you seen the um, Southern Lights, the Aurora Australis down there? Yes, I've seen the Southern Lights and the Northern Lights, of course. Um, it's a big thrill. The Southern Lights are uh, less uh, sort of less um, pre- not predictable. I mean, none, none of these things are predictable. Mm. Um, are less prevalent. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I have seen them. There are different parts of the season when it works, but you've actually raised a very interesting point. Which, as a photographer, also, um, mm. you know, the light palette changes. So I kind of like, I like the ends of the season when you get some darkness because you get that changing um, light palette. So um, while we'd like to see the Southern Aurora, and I've seen it many times in in many ways, um, and it is, you know, spectacular, I think also just the pink light and the blue light that comes through at the beginning and end of season really interesting. When you've got full, you've kind of got um, pretty much full light, but this hazy night light, um, you get – that's that's a different experience anyway. To, to be anywhere which has um, pretty much 24-hour light is really quite unusual mm-hmm. because the the middle part of that is this sort of weird, hazy uh, night light. Yeah, it's extraordinary twilight. Yeah. That sounds like a destination, doesn't it? I have one more question. Do they ever, <laughs> let, do they ever let you crack off a bit of ice, you know, 10,000-year-old ice to pop in a glass of something nice? Uh, not not only we're that, hundred thousand. We're drinking. You might have an ice scotch or something, Julia. With a <laughs> not, not million-year-old ice. Yeah, look, not only not only will you find a bit of Antarctic ice sneaking into the odd scotch. There we go. But but there will be an Antarctic plunge. Oh, okay. No, no. A dip. <laughs> Good lord. Yeah. Uh, it's mm. like it's like diving into oh, razors. Very like quick. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's very and, quick. And, 
And anyone with a heart condition, I don't recommend mm, it. Crazy person. Um, yeah. I tell you what, I've I've done this both in the Antarctic and the Arctic, which I think was colder actually. Mm. And if you've ever seen a little skinny white man come out of water like a Polaris mm. missile, that was mm. it. You don't, you don't, but Stephen, you don't do it in the nick, do you? Just in your no, in your speedos. no, no, speedos. speedos. You do it with your speedos. Yeah, but, but, yeah, yeah, sort of. You know, yeah, board, board shorts. Board shorts, no, 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 thank you. Not board a big budget that time. <laughs> Board shorts are the go, but it's uh, it's an extraordinary experience, yeah. <laughs> Stephen, we could keep going mm. for a very long time. There's an, another 55 questions that we would mm. like to ask you. But thank you for joining us yeah, this thanks, morning and, and sharing us your experiences. Uh, Gosh, Amazing. Ben and I are always saying, well, now we have to go, but no, now we really ridiculous. have to go, Ben, don't we? Yes, it is getting longer. And lucky yeah, well, the people who travel with you, Stephen. Yeah, look, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I, I mean, I always do. Um, I love all the travel that we do and I still arrive wide-eyed, confused and excited. So this will be just another fantastic experience. I think I would also say to people that, you know, revisiting places is always so exciting because you have that background of knowledge, but, um, you know, every day is different wherever you are. Hey, before you go, Stephen, um, beyond the Taste Bud Traveller podcast, where can our listeners um, find you? Where can they track you down? Uh, well, we we run um, the west.com.au forward slash travel, so the travel part of the West Australians uh, site. Um, and we also have westtravelclub.com.au, um, which is uh, where we also have uh, travel club tours and various other things that we're getting up to. Stephen, thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Right, listeners, we have something a little different for you this episode. In fact, it's a conversation I never imagined that we would have on Taste Bun Traveller, but I'm about to speak to Noel Tennant, a chef's advisor for the Australian Antarctic Division, and Noel is going to tell us all about food in Australia's Antarctic research stations. Noel, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ben. Great to talk to you. Yeah, excellent. You... um. You have a job that many of us would probably struggle to kind of imagine what it's like. Um, can you tell us about what it is you do and how on earth you actually got started in that line of work? Yeah. Um, so I'm a, a chef by trade, yeah, about 25 years or so in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, went through the process as you do, um, you know, apprenticeship and that sort of thing, working in restaurants and the like. Uh, eventually went out um, working in industrial style catering. Yeah. And and then, um, yeah, saw an advertisement for the Australian Antarctic Division for chefs on station. So way back in 1997, I first travelled south as a chef. And um, now for the last 11 years, I've been at head office. So my responsibility now is to, is to recruit other chefs right. to send down and to uh, purchase all of the food for our stations as well. Wow. So when you saw that ad, did you just think that is the job for me or that, you know, what drew you to it? Uh, a couple of things, um, but I think primarily one of my lecturers at TAFE mm-hmm. uh, had also um, spent a winter at Mawson Station and he had some old black and white photos that he had taken and developed himself. Wow. And 
so I suppose the, the seed was sown very early on and then without consciously following that path, I just sort of found myself being um, sort of more and more qualified. Um, yeah, so um, when I saw the uh, the advertisement at a time when I was a, a single young man, yeah. It, um, yeah, I grabbed it. So how much time have you spent in Antarctica and have you had much of a chance to see much of it beyond the um, Antarctic Division kitchens? <laughs> I did spend a lot of time in the kitchens, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I did three trips uh, in total uh, as a chef, mm. um, two of those to, to Davis Station and one to Macquarie Island. Um, and, and yes, the, you know, the opportunities for all expeditioners to get out beyond the station and, and explore Antarctica is, is pretty good. So, um, yes, I'm very lucky in that regard. But, uh, I've also I've travelled in a number of other ways um, to and around Antarctica as well. So mm-hmm. by by ship, by aircraft, uh, helicopters. Um, so I've I've been remarkably lucky. I've seen actually quite a lot of the continent, but uh, it's it's an enormous place. There is so much to see. Mm. And have you had any? Um, we often talk about moments in this show where you you're travelling somewhere and you're in a location and you just something totally floors you, you have that moment where you're just pinching yourself because something remarkable or astonishing is happening. Have you had a few of those? Yeah, a lot of those. Um, I think flying in, in a helicopter over over very remote parts of Antarctica and uh, just thinking to, you know, the number of people who'd actually set foot in any of those places was mm. you know, in the single figures. There's not too many places on the planet where where you can go and stand somewhere and think, well, there's less than ten people have ever stood on this spot. Um, wow! So that, yeah, that's that's very humbling, um, and those sort of moments that, uh, particularly in retrospect, you um, mm. yeah, you tend to tend to recall as being very special. Wow! Yeah, I can imagine that'd be. Mm. Yeah, that's certainly something. Hey, um, and for a humble, yeah. sorry, for a humble cook to uh, to get those sort of opportunities, <laughs> you know, it's. Uh, you think, wow, yeah, um, how, did I, how did I pull that off? So Australia has four research stations in Antarctica. Is that is that correct? Uh, yes, three on the Antarctic continent mm-hmm. and another one in sub-Antarctic Macquarie Island, which is about halfway between Tassie and the Antarctic continent. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a gorgeous place. It's, it's actually the, the jewel in the crown, I think. Um, I could be a little biased, but mm-hmm. um, uh, it's, it's sort of the lesser known uh, of our four stations, but mm. a remarkable place. Mm. And what's life like for the you know the Australians and the, the the people who are at the research stations? And importantly, what kind of meals can they expect uh, to encounter? Mm. Yeah, down there. Yeah, it's a it's a unique experience for for everyone. It's uh, it's quite an artificial um, kind of experience, if you like. Like there's there's no need for money. Um, Everything's prepared for you. Uh, yes, you're in an extreme environment, but most of the time, you're um, inside buildings or or the like. So you you kind of insulated from the environment. So you're not really in any in any great peril, as it were. Um, so it's um, you know, for a lot of for a lot of people, particularly during the summer months when things are very busy. There's a lot of projects going on. Uh, it's it's kind of a normal sort of work day. They're just they're just having a normal day in an in an extraordinary place. Mm. Um, um, and, and what about what what about meals? I'm, I'm I'm thinking if that's 
if that's where they're living and working, I would imagine that kind of having some variety in what they're eating would be really, really important. Yeah, you've absolutely nailed it, Ben. The 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 kitchen and the food that comes out of there is is one of the few areas where some variety and a, and a bit of novelty and a bit of unknown can actually be be injected into people's days. It, it really can be Groundhog Day mm. for people on stations, uh, particularly in the winter months where it's it's dark, it's cold. They go to work, they just have a, a maintenance program that they might have to do. So it's just ticking off jobs on a list. Mm. And then when they when they come into the mess, they just never quite know what they're going to get. And the, the chefs are usually very good at um, you know just providing that little bit of little bit of mystery um, <laughs> with in a good way. Also, as well, in a good way, <laughs> generally. Yeah. yeah. But as, as long as it has bacon, um, <laughs> then people are happy. I can imagine. Yeah. Good point. Uh, so, what kind of things do chefs need to um, keep in mind when they're designing and preparing uh, meals and menus for um, research stations? And does the weather impact life inside the kitchen. I was the first thing I thought was, well you probably save on refrigeration down there, but I bet I bet that's wrong, right? <laughs> yeah, that's one of the ironies. Um the the storage space that's under the most pressure on our stations is the freezer space. That's hilarious. So mm. yeah, so mm-hmm. we resupply our stations during the summer months mm-hmm. and uh, at Davis, for example, I saw temperatures of 11 degrees above zero. So, hmm. yeah, if you thought you could just store all of your frozen food <laughs> out in the snow, yeah, you'd be terribly disappointed. <laughs> um, so we we actually need very large freezer spaces uh, to be able to keep you know, all of our produce um, you know, appropriately refrigerated um, when it's too warm outside. So what, what kind of food does get sent down? I'm, I'm sure many of us would... I would guess that a lot of it's frozen and canned or that kind of thing. Is there much fresh produce that makes its way down there? Yeah, the fresh is a relative term, Ben. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you really don't want to add up the the food miles mm-hmm. for our stuff. But we do we do send we send quite a few tons of of fresh produce. So yeah, we find uh, root vegetables keep really well for us. So potatoes and carrots and onions. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah very large quantity of those is uh, Casey Station, for example, has, has got um, about 2,400 kilos of potatoes on the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can, they can keep for us, you know, anywhere from, anywhere from a couple of months up to, you know, if you're really lucky, you might get about eight months out of some of the produce. Mm. Um, but as I say, fresh becomes a very much a relative term. Um, you go into a, a box of potatoes, and uh, you know, if you get twelve good ones out of out of ten kilos, you think you've done pretty well. All right. And what about eggs and other proteins and things like that? Yeah, eggs is an interesting one. We've sourced a, a local uh, egg producer in Tassie, um, who's a, a true free range farmer, mm-hmm. and uh, within a very short period of time of the eggs being laid, he's he's collected them, graded them clean them, and then he seals them with a food-grade paraffin wax. And we're getting 11 months out of our fresh eggs in Antarctica. Wow. Yeah. Um, Other proteins, most of them do tend to be frozen. Uh, We have a a very large range of of meats and seafoods and poultry. Um, Yeah, and proteins, um, it's a a bit of a reflection of... um, 
of sort of dietary choices at the moment. People are going for protein more than more than carbohydrate these days. So yeah, um, it's a very important component. Yep. And I know people love fresh bread, nice warm bread. Does bread make an appearance on tables down in Antarctica? Absolutely, it does. And and again, as a reflection of the way that that Australians have gone in relation to bread, so mm-hmm. you can, yeah, there's there's still a demand for the, you know, for the the soft, fluffy white loaf, but pretty much all of our stations now produce excellent quality sourdough as well. So they, oh, wow. they maintain a sourdough starter and, and keep it going. We have some, some really talented and skilled bakers amongst our chefs. Oh, fantastic. Uh, you mentioned bacon before, and that's a bit of a favourite with everyone. Are there any other um, dishes that really get the, the team going down there? Any real favourites? Yeah. Yeah. Um... <laughs> <laughs> it, it probably depends on the meal that's being served. Uh, mm. Come smoko time, which is kind of the first hot meal that we produce each day, morning tea time. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> sausage rolls are always, you know, in demand. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's um, it's a, it's a little bit cliche, but uh, yeah, anything with bacon, <laughs> sausage rolls, yeah, um, yeah, really? except for the vegans, of course, but. Um, um, so how do you cater for, yeah. I mean, vegetarians and vegans? Uh, with a lot of imagination. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's difficult when you don't have access to, to fresh produce because I'm, I'm sure most vegetarians and vegans in Australia would, would eat a hell of a lot of fresh fruit yeah. and vegetables. Um, they're in limited supply, of course, but uh, yeah, we make do with, uh, with a lot of frozen, frozen produce, dried pulses. Yeah. Um, yeah, just um, just a lot of imagination. It, it's it's limited, but um, yeah, somehow we somehow we manage. I don't know. I don't know how, but we do. Very good. Hey, at the end of the day, when everyone's you know ready to let their hair down a bit and perhaps have something to drink at the at the bar, if there is one, what a what what's available um, in terms of you know tipple and and beer and those kind of things. Yeah, we do have a bar on each station. Mm-hmm. Um, and possibly the most popular thing at each bar is the locally made homebrew. So, oh, really? We have, yeah. So we we have a facility at each station where we can you know, produce you know, small batches of of homebrew, and look on the whole, um, they tend to do a bloody good job of it. <laughs> oh, uh, fantastic. Yeah. So you you get you know sometimes um, with the groups that are going down, particularly people who've been before and and you know, know what uh, know what's going to happen. Uh, we do get some really keen amateur brewers who will then they'll buy uh, specialty hops to take with them, some you know alternative malts and barley's and the like. And uh, yeah, so they produce some bloody good quality beer. Oh, I hope one day to see some of that in my local bottle shop. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's probably a prohibited export out of Antarctica, but um, I'm I'm sure people have smuggled bottles back home. (laughs) One day, one day, one day. This is um, a a bit of a weird left field question. For the people who are working on the Australian um, Antarctic Division stations, do they need to travel with a passport? What happens? Is there an immigration when they get to Antarctica? How does that work? Yeah. um, so the short answer is yes, they do need to travel with a passport. Mm. Um, even even going to Macquarie Island, which is uh, 
part of Tasmania for administrative purposes, but the fact that you travel through international waters and international airspace um, means that uh, you must clear immigration on the way out and um, and again on the way back in. It's it's relatively low key as far as you know international travel goes, but. Mm. Uh, yes, yes, we do need to clear customs. Oh, there you go, listeners. Remember to pack your passport if you're heading down. Noel, that's been really, really fascinating. Thanks so much for joining us and for your time. Um, before you go, could you tell uh, our listeners perhaps uh, where where they might be able to find out a little bit more information about Australia's Antarctic uh, research stations? Absolutely. The the Antarctic Division has a really good website Um so there's a number of ways you can find your way there, um, yeah, antarctica.gov.au um, or just go into your your search engine of choice and type in um, Antarctic Division, um, Antarctica Australia, any of those sort of terms will generally uh, return um, yeah, the AAD, which is short for Australian Antarctic Division mm-hmm. website. Um, yeah. We'll make sure we pop all those details in the um, in the show notes. Uh, for our listeners. Uh, Noel, thanks again, and I wish you a future filled with very tasty travels wherever you may go. (laughs) Thanks, Ben. You too, mate. Ben, you know what? This is just such a wonderful pastime, sitting here and talking about it. Not quite as good as going, but however... It's up there. uh, It is, isn't it? Mm. Enough to fill the travel soul, I Mm -hmm. have to say. So um, I totally enjoy it. Thank you for all your information too. I love nothing more than a good bit of travel natter. Me too. Mm. Yes. Mm. And you're good at it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. And listeners, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe and uh, tell your friends and family all about Taste by Traveller. And we love hearing from you. So be sure to leave comments wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, we look forward to taking you on another journey soon. See you later, Ben. Ciao. And listeners, bye.